0: On today's episode of Hungry for Wisdom, God doesn't like to steer parked cars. I don't know when the last time was you heard a pastor say this, but God is actually pleased with your work. And what we tell you today might get you killed. But hey, it's better than what most people got planned for 2023, it's episode 19, turn it up! Welcome to Hungry for Wisdom. This is the podcast for people who wanna know what God knows. He hasn't told us everything, but man, he has told us a lot. I'm Dustin, pastor of Grace and Truth. And if you want to know what God knows, let's dig in. On this episode, we are dedicating it to the nameless missionaries from time past, time present. These are the guys that... Uh, you know, we, we stand on their shoulders and we don't even know to thank them. Uh, many guys have died in obscurity. Many guys have uh, given their lives without giving any attention to themselves. And they liked it that way. They wanted it that way because that's honoring to God. And so we're very, very grateful to all these guys. that We don't have the opportunity to thank. I think about uh, the the book of Romans. I mean, has there, maybe Romans and John, have there been more, uh, more, more, Books in the Bible that have converted, or have there been books in the Bible that have converted more people than Romans and John? You just look at the way the Great Commission has gone forward on you know, Romans alone. And we don't even know the name of the guy that planted the church in Rome. It wasn't Paul. Somebody else did it and his name just didn't get recorded. And so uh, we we love these guys and we appreciate them and we're thankful to God for them. For this episode here, uh, if you want to um, go ahead and give us a follow and leave us a rating, five stars, if you think we earned it and share this with somebody, anything that you do along those lines to help out, what that does is it uh, helps fund the World Hope Bible Institute and the mission work that we do there. So go ahead and follow, rate and share if you find the content helpful. Let's get into a Proverbs Devo. Here we go. Today is Proverbs 3, 21 to 24. It says this, My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Okay, uh, if you've been listening to Hungry for Wisdom for longer than 30 seconds, you know what uh, what Solomon just did here. We've called it a couplet. We've called it a parallelism. I've hammered this home over and over and over again. He's making the same statement twice at least to get at it from two different angles at least. So this kind of uh, you know Hebrew poetry, this is their version of rhyming, right? Like they didn't care so much about rhymes with words like we do. What they did was they would rhyme ideas. Right, so like as we're, whereas we would say, a fool convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Right, that's that's a proverb that's very Western because it rhymes. They would say, why is there a price in the hand of a fool to buy wisdom when he has no sense? That's Proverb seventeen sixteen. So there's no rhyme there, but both of these parables or both of these um, uh, proverbs mean the same thing. They mean it's a waste of time to argue with a knucklehead. Right, so in Proverbs three. Solomon is doing this idea rhyming thing, and he's going on an absolute drive-by. It's a shooting spree of idea rhyming. He, he pairs up these ideas to give us a well-rounded perspective of the issue, but to do so in very few words. So, like, in regards to wisdom, th- there's some, some pairing together. There's vanishing, and then there's keeping it in this passage. Meaning that the, the way to not let wisdom vanish is to be intentional about keeping it. Actively keep it. Grab hold of it and stiffen up that forearm. Hang on to wisdom. Another couplet, he's got wisdom and discretion. Living skillfully goes hand in hand with the ability to sniff out the good from the bad, kind of to, to give it the smell test, you know, and to know what you're looking at. Another couplet, life to your soul and adornment to your neck. We'll come back to that one in a minute. Here's another one, walking versus stumbling. The, uh, the difference is you do intentionally collect and guard your wisdom, right? And if you do so, you're walking. If you do not do that, you are stumbling. If you're presuming on wisdom, or if you're just, you know, if you don't care, you just let it slip by you, you're going to stumble. So walking versus stumbling, the difference is, do you hold on to wisdom or do you let it slip? Another couplet here, fear versus restful sleep. How's that one? You ever had that thought before? So he clearly implies that you can't have both. You can't have fear and have a good night's sleep. It's interesting. I've never thought about fear as the enemy of a good night's sleep, but in the end, We've all experienced that, right? You think about stress. Stress messes with the quality of sleep. And so often, our stress is because of our desire to achieve certain outcomes, and we worry that we can't or we won't achieve them. I mean, that's fear, right? And so fear is the enemy of sleep. Think about a mom with a newborn. She wakes up if there's the slightest change in the baby's breathing. Why? Because she's afraid that this fragile life won't make it through the night if she sleeps too hard. And, you know, she's right. Babies need you to be on call and they need you to be a little bit worried for their lives because their lives slip away so easily. And so young moms don't sleep well for a while because they're scared of a lot of things happening. Fear is the enemy of sleep. It's hard for kids to fall asleep sometimes, at least my kids, in a house that's not their own. They're uneasy. Right? They don't have full confidence in their surroundings. That's fear. It messes with their sleep. So as Solomon goes about rhyming all of these ideas, what he's doing, you could see it as like he's leaning these ideas against each other, and we're supposed to step back and see what kind of structure it all builds, right? And then we can take away the the big idea, the big unit, and it can hit us as a unit rather than as a bunch of little, you know, factoids. Like if I flick you with one finger at a time, it's not going to do much damage. But if I ball up my fist and I swing it all at once, it's going to hurt. It's the same organic material, but it's a way more effective impact, right? And so what's the big right hook here? What's the main idea in this section of Proverbs? Well, it's simply this: God has a great many blessings in life, and he delights in giving them to us, and he places these jewels along the pathway of wisdom. So the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, the straight and narrow way, whatever you want to call it. But if we are lax or lazy about conforming our perspective to God's perspective, then we miss all of these gifts. Good night's sleep security in our direction in life, some confidence as you go about things, and adornment for our neck. In other words, blessings that we don't need, but he gives us anyway. So let's look at that last idea rhyme. Life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Adornment is, you know, it's jewelry, it's makeup. You don't need jewelry and makeup, but you do need life. You can live without a well-working neck. It's a pain, but you can do it. You cannot live without a well-working soul. Your very life force will shrivel up. But here he says that, If you take extra care to guard the wisdom that he's handing to you, then you get the things that you need and a lot of things that you don't need because God provides and he blesses and he hides all all of these blessings. Actually, I don't even know that he hides them. He just sets them there along the pathway of wisdom. So read Proverbs, man, memorize its pieces, use them and deploy them in daily life, review them, teach them to your kids and watch the effect over the course of generations something worth doing. Actually, you know, it's interesting. Proverbs has 31 chapters, right? That gives you one for every day of the month roughly, and if the month only has uh, you know, 30 days, then hey, no problem, just circle back and start at 1 or read two chapters in a day. But you can ingest Proverbs one time every month. I've been doing this for years, and I love it. I love it so much. I started a podcast just so I could talk about it more. These things never get old. And every day I look at this and I'm just like, "Man, there's something there I never saw before because it's so densely packed." So with that, I'm going to step aside and bring in my buddy, my homie, What's Dan up? Baber. How are you doing, man? Hey, good. How are you, Dustin? I'm great, man. Thanks for joining us on this. I've been looking forward to getting you in here for a long time. Uh, Dan is a buddy of mine that we, oh gosh, we met, I feel like maybe it was a little over a year ago, year and a half ago. Probably close to two years. No kidding. He came to my birthday party. Well, time flies when you're yeah, having man. fun, man. Yeah, that was a great party too. We just sat around and talked about theology, and I I smoked a pipe for the first time in a long time. I know. Yeah, it was beautiful. Praise God, that was a good night. So <laughs> that was that was actually decent um, pipe tobacco too. You have, you get the skunky stuff; it's no good. But that that one that one was rewarding. So um, yeah, we uh, we have a mutual friend, and I was looking for a discipleship pastor at the time. And our mutual friend Tim, who has also been a guest on this podcast, and he uh, he said, "Hey, I just had a buddy move into town. He just came off of the mission field, and uh, you got to meet this guy." And so I invited you and your family over for dinner, and you guys, you and your five kids and your wife came five right. This guy- Was, is it four? Wait, there's, I got a phantom kid in there somewhere. All right. Anyway, so you guys came over. You'd never met us before and the kids were just so cool and so like personable and we had a great time. And I know that's an awkward position for you guys to be in because I'm in it all the time with my family, but you guys were just. You guys are
1: so hospitable. It was awesome.
0: Oh, and and your wife is just the coolest, man. She's she's great. And so, anyway, we kind of hit it off. And um, I didn't hire you because I I figured, you know, well, he's a flaming heretic, so I can't. But, no, I'm joking. (laughs) No, but you you were going a different direction with Mm -hmm. stuff, and I'm really happy to see what God's got going on with you now. But we just kind of hit it off, and we've been kind of running in the same circles and working on some of the same ministry projects um, ever since then. So, when you came back to the U.S., why don't you just give us a rundown of kind of what, what happened there? Where were you, mm. you know, as near as you can say, yeah. what, what were the circumstances that brought you here and and then had you actually stay here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So at the time we were uh, living and serving in Northeast Thailand up in the city of Chiang Rai. And uh, um, I had served on a team there of primarily uh, Thai nationals. Um, you know, we, we've been inside, we were in Southeast Asia a total of around 14 years. So um, at that time, you know, I was serving under the leadership of, of Pioneers, serving as an interim area leader for Pioneers over um, key, key countries there in Southeast Asia. And, and Pioneers
0: so, is really focused on uh, reaching the, the remaining unreached people groups, yeah, if I understand right.
1: Pioneers exists to, uh, to glorify God by um, mobilizing teams to initiate church planting movements among unreached people groups. Uh, in partnership with the local church so that if you guys ever
0: hear the term upg that's unreached people groups we talk yes. about that a lot
1: yes 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 so yeah um we were living and serving there in Chiang Rai, and you know we were getting a sense it was time for us to consider a return to the u.s we didn't know exactly when but we 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 knew the, the time was coming soon and then COVID hit, of course, and that that brought us back to the U.S. prematurely. In our minds, uh, we've not been able to get back there yet, but um, we're looking forward to the day. Previous living in Thailand, we were in a, a, a communist country there in Southeast Asia. I won't mention which one. There's two of them. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, throw yeah. a dart. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So so we were just serving there. Um, previous, even before that role within Pioneers, I was on a team called, uh, associated with a group called Mekong Ministries, which um, has been, you know, working among a few key unreached people groups there, and then the, the Mekong River Basin up into uh, Laos and Myanmar, and uh, so, yeah, it was cool to be part of that team and, and see what, what God did there.
0: Did you ever get your stuff back from Thailand?
1: Yes, yes, we did. Okay, that's yeah, nice.
0: Yeah. I was <laughs> I think if I remember right, the first time I talked to you, it was kind of like, yeah, so we're, uh, we're, we're in the U.S. now, and we got to figure all of this out as far as like material yeah, things. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we had some dear, dear friends,
1: uh, part of a church plant there in Chiang Rai that, that we were a part of and they, they re, and other people as well in the community. Um, just, I, I wouldn't wish this on my enemies, but they went in and boxed up all our stuff and shit. <laughs> Stuffed it in a shipping container. Oh, may may their
0: reward in heaven be great. Amen. That's Amen. awesome. So out there in in these various locations that you'd been, two main ones. Mm-hmm. Um, you're doing what? I mean, church planting, pastor training, disciple making. What is it?
1: Yeah. So we we really we viewed ourselves as uh, what we'd say scaffolding. Uh, we were not the permanent um, church, so we did want to plant churches, but but we knew we were never we weren't going to be able to stay there long term. So our goal was always to, to be building up and equipping and establishing uh, churches, hopefully. Um, but we were happy to just start with one church, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And uh, and so, yeah, so I'll just give a little little example. The, the first, the second um, location where we were, um, at the time, we were focusing on an unreached people group. And we knew of a handful of believers, maybe two three or four um, a couple met for Bible studies occasionally but there was no church at all um, and then God just uh, kind of broke through and and there was a, a prominent person who had an experience a power encounter uh, where they they witnessed uh, a person who was demonized get delivered uh, just because they came in the door and they're like Jesus is here we need to listen to this guy and he you know he hadn't really been, I mean, he had accepted Christ, but it hadn't really been a significant shift in his life. But he realized, oh, my goodness, this is real. This power is real. And mm-hmm. so uh, he and his family started the first church among that people group in that region in their house. Wow. Um, eventually they, they built a building out back in their backyard. And and uh, to this day they're, you know, church elders um, there. With so this adults. guy was getting
0: oppressed by demons or whatever. Yeah, there was, a,
1: there was a relative who, um, who was basically he okay so the story is he um he let me see here he had got a phone call from this relative hey you're a christian um my wife or my sister, I can't remember which one is, is demonized again. And she's up in the rafters of our house. Can you come help? And this guy was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> he went to go talk to the missionaries. Missionaries were all out of town at a, uh, missionary conferences. Missionaries like missionary conferences. Yes.
0: So <laughs> uh, and yeah. And they like to all leave at the same time right. and leave the demon possessed people on wow, their own. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um, by God's grace, actually there was a pastor among another people group. And so he went and talked to this other pet. Pa- pastor uh of this other people group which you know these two people groups they live in in the same community but they don't necessarily have a lot of um camaraderie okay. uh, at a heart level uh, anyway he brought same this language? pastor with them no totally different language wow. they they spoke each other's language okay. the, the, the the trade the, language there was there. a barrier yeah yeah um but anyway the pastor came with him and um this person was delivered um from the demon at at the moment um and so the, yeah just that power encounter really opened this guy's eyes to see wow this this Jesus is real and yeah. he has power and so yeah that was the birth of the church among that people group wow
0: so he winds up being a, a church planting pastor yeah absolutely that? and
1: and you know what the missionaries weren't even there to to to, to make it happen
0: isn't it funny how that works I, there's so many stories like that where it's like guys have been working on something giving their lives for so mm-hmm. long and then mm-hmm. you know they're not available or yeah. held up somewhere and then yeah. God's like okay now nobody's going to get credit except me and that's when he'll go <laughs> and start although I will house. say i
1: mean the you know the 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 work of prayer. I would say is a significant element in that missionary um, work and labor. And and when it's in front of you day by day by
0: day, you you talk to God a lot about it. Hopefully. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, you think about Adoniram Judson, right? He had yeah what I mean a handful of converts in his lifetime, and that was that was hard, strenuous labor he was doing. And after like forty years or whatever it was, he had seven converts. I'm getting the numbers wrong, but it was something like that. Yeah. And yeah, and then as soon as he dies. You know, God said yes to a whole lot of prayers that he had been praying for the last number of decades, right? But he yes. wasn't there to actually reap the harvest. And, you know, I think if you asked him, he'd say, that's cool, fair trade.
1: Mm-hmm. Even
0: even if you asked him when he was alive, right? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and just the confidence that God answers prayer, even yeah. once you're dead, is yeah. a hard one. We like the microwave uh, option right. That's why I do a lot of short-term missions, is because I like to see all my results right now, and then not have to worry <laughs> about the investment in the future. But I mean, short-term versus long-term missions—that's always kind of a uh, an interesting discussion to have, because you know, short-term missions can do a lot of damage, and they have before, right? I mean, you go in there and you you tell people, "Hey, here's how you follow Jesus," and it winds up looking extremely um, American or pragmatic or whatever and and there's not really a lot of life investment right yeah so now the way i'm doing short-term missions hopefully we can avoid that with our strategy because we try to be very aware of that and go the other direction but the the long-term side of things well I, I guess it'd be interesting for me to hear your perspective from having been on the field for what you said about 14 years mm-hmm. and to see the interplay between long-term and short-term missions because that's something that we all got to navigate a lot because not everybody is called to leave their native context permanently right so how does the local church then with short term mission teams fuel the great commission i mean how do you see those two interplaying
1: yeah i'd say short term missions is a pretty novel concept in the last maybe 100 years with airplane travel ease of travel has really made that even even a paradigm you know reality um, i mean someone could argue that the apostle paul did a lot of short term because he that guy never stood still. He seemed yeah. to be always
0: on the move. You know, Although, his definition of short might have been a little different than ours. But, yeah, a year yeah. or two, <laughs> right? Maybe right. Um, six weeks if he gets kicked out and, and persecuted until they beat you.
1: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I have I have mixed feelings about short term. To be honest, on the positive side, I'd say very few people on the mission field long term didn't go on short term trips.
0: Oh, so it's so, it's like an
1: incubator absolutely so you 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 get to to see you see the world in a totally different light when you when you go overseas and so it you know i think god uses that profoundly to call people to the long term service um again uh there have you know just because things are done poorly doesn't mean they're necessarily bad in nature um even long term
0: Things can be done very poorly as well. Sure. Well, give us some yes. instruction. What are some common pitfalls that short-term missions or missionaries or whatever fall into that would that would yield a comment like that was done poorly? Because we want to avoid that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, poor things. I would
1: say is is when you you come into a context and uh, you are um, there to um, oh golly, uh, there's a lot of poor things. I'd say. Um, the person that that is your contact point on the mission field, like who is the person that you are serving when you get there? Is it a is it another missionary? Is it a, a, a national? Those are kind of the two two options. Um, in both of those cases, you know how how aware is that person of the actual. A vision and mission of, of Christ. Okay. Um, oftentimes there's, there's service projects to go do and, and, you know, to go paint a, a school or go, um, you know, do some physical labor is, is the most common short-term trip I'd say. And sure. and I think that has, that has its place for sure. Um, however, uh, one of the, the downsides is, um, often in, in these contexts, there's people who know how to do physical labor and, if you were to um, provide an employment opportunity for those people, that's, that's a blessing. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, although then you miss out on the relational aspect where you can go and, and develop these, these, you know, life on life relationships. My well, wife, go ahead, yeah, go ahead. Uh, my wife, you know, was a part of a group that would go down to um, different countries in South America and they would plant churches uh, or, or they would help with building projects for churches. However, um, her leader was very astute and on the last day they weren't done yet with the project um, there was nationals working alongside with the the American team and then on the last days like he said no nope, they are going to finish this project we're going to go have fun at the beach and basically saying this needs to be their project they need to finish it and own it themselves uh, we're not going to we're not going to bring it over the the finish line essentially yep. and we're going to do that intentionally not because we want to just go have fun but this is actually very strategic and saying no this is your church building you need to sustain this and keep it so there's 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 a lot of things i would say oftentimes uh, unfortunately the contact person on the um the field side um maybe just the first person you met that was a christian that spoke english and and they become the filter by which you see the entire situation um, if you're the trip organizer. And so I'd say, um, sometimes they're great people and sometimes they're, they're schemers. Mm-hmm. So, um, my recommendation is always, you know, meet, meet four or five different pastors or four or five different people in ministry that have a good reputation and, and, and elicit their observation of the needs of the people, their observation of the needs of the church. Because oftentimes, um, these people, especially in, in places that are are frequented by missions teams they they get their pitch down and and all of a sudden like i'm just the next billy graham if only someone would come and support my ministry well right. they're doing that with 20 other churches maybe and you have no frame of reference so christians think-
0: are people too and sometimes they get scammy especially in in cultures where that's not seen as necessarily a negative thing you absolutely know? i mean I, yeah. I spent a lot of time in africa getting hit up for money with some very creative pitches right and these guys are solid christians in their doctrine these guys are pastors but it's just culturally that's what you do so you got to sniff some of, dude i got um i had a driver once that he tried to rob me in a like a dark <laughs> dark place behind. and i'm like you're my driver you're supposed to be helping the mission and he was trying to like <laughs> he's trying to stick me up for money i was just like that's messed up dude so yeah, yeah if, and but at that point he was my my contact for understanding yes. the situation into which we were going so yes. yeah i see what you're saying as far as getting the multiplicity of input it's proverbs 18 and
1: and you know there's a deep Christian value of helping the poor. I mean, that was the one thing even in the book of Acts. They're like you know ironically, it was the church in Jerusalem saying to the the mission field, don't forget to help the poor here in Jerusalem. whoa, uh, whoa run run by <laughs> me again that, that's a, that's a, uh, I've never seen it from that angle before say it again uh the the people who were receiving the gospel were the ones that gave generously to the church that was suffering in 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 the descending base, the established church. That's right. Yeah. So it was actually opposite than what we tend to think of. Wow. Um, and so one of the biggest problems I see is the fact that the church in the West thinks the primary problem is a lack of funds on the mission field. Mm-hmm. That is not the, the primary problem. And, um, one of the things that I'm really, um, working hard at now is, uh, a little bit more formal theological training for global leaders because there is there is a famine of theological um, uh, depth and understanding in the emerging church, especially among leaders. And so um, I love what your mission does is going around and tra- trains and spends time with, with these emerging elders and, and teachers and leaders in the church. And that's actually the term we use, is theological famine relief. Mm, yeah, um, because I think there's, kind of what we see happening in our broader culture, this this idea of privilege guilt when it comes to um, physical resources. Well, we really kind of play into that narrative when we go overseas and we, we see the main problem being physical suffering. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love what John Piper says. Yes, the church is against suffering, both on earth, but primarily for eternity. Yep. And so we see our priority uh, to, to to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ and of course, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves—that's what—that's what adorns the gospel—is is those actions. Unfortunately, typically we lead with those those uh, those more, um, I'd say, easy ways of serving and helping. Sure. And I would say a priority of the ministry of the word is is really what I'm convinced about.
0: Well, and I think there's something worldly about that too, just in the sense that you know, if 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 the immediate physical needs are. If they're a distraction to us from the the spiritual needs, the the primary, the eternal needs, then it seems that our, our focus is still on the things below and not on the things above, at least in some way. And that's not to say, I mean, like you're saying, that's not to say we ignore the physical needs. Like a, alleviating Absolutely. human suffering is is huge to Jesus. He wants that done, right? But not to the exclusion of the. Well, actually, and and these uh, this pastor that was you know delivered from demonic oppression. That's I mean, that's a great example, right? He had an immediate need and it was, and and God wanted it met. And now there's a larger plan in play and that needs to not get neglected. Right. Same thing with hunger, same thing with, uh, you know, nakedness, same thing with famine, all of that stuff. So, yeah. And I think the, um, the, the short-term, the short-term mission, uh, paradigm that is so, um, easy for us to jump onto in the West. I think there's a lot of advantages to that, but yeah, one of the, one of the drawbacks may very well be, we're only looking at small problems because we're only going to be there for a week and we can only do small things to solve small problems, you know, and then you just miss the forest for the trees. Maybe, I don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. That said, we, I would say
1: probably the most potent and effective um, type of short-term team is something I got to lead just a couple of years ago, actually with a few folks here in the tri cities. um, And we called it a prayer journey. And we, we said, listen, what you need to do is come over here with a group we're going to go prayer walking through these unreached villages where there are zero believers and, and then go have some time together with the national missionaries who are going out to these places and enduring persecution and pray for them. And, you know, that is very um, counter to the mentality. I think of, of, it's just, it's just hard to get a lot of great, you know, Instagram moments when you're praying, I guess. (laughs) Um, And, It really speaks to our theology of prayer. Do we really think that talking to God is important? Do we really think that he says to pray to him, to to the Lord of the harvest, to send laborers, you know? Um, I had just a joy, and I know God's going to answer those prayers because they were in line with what Christ commanded
0: to go and make disciples of all nations, like He's going to answer that prayer. And we can learn to do that here, too. Abs- absolutely. When, actually, no, you it's... know, when I came out to West Richland, I was coming from Kennewick Baptist, and there were some folks there. It wasn't my idea. They said, hey, we if, if our music pastor is going out to West Richland to preach, we need to prayer walk that city. Mm-hmm. And so we wow. all we met over at Yokes, and there were a bunch of us that just, we mapped it out, and we all had our assignments, and we spread out and covered different neighborhoods, and we walked through and, and prayed. And I mean, I gotta figure that some of the people that I get to see come to Christ now, and the people that we get to see discipled—that's God who has a very long memory, and right? saying, you know, this this twelve-year-old kid gave up his Saturday morning and prayed for that, and I said yes. Now nine years later, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, we don't have to get that innovative. God, God made his his. strategy quite simple you know go go and go and ask i heard somebody say uh on a a podcast a couple years ago said you know the the church has pretty much had the market cornered on clever for the last 30 years can we just stop maybe maybe. yeah (laughs) right yeah and in some cases utter failure but i mean the the best graphic design in the world some of that's coming out of churches you know and there's nothing wrong with any of that use your gifts use your skills and fine but if we're relying on those things then the, the power of the mission of God just gets sucked right away because he's like, okay, there, there, there's your power, see how it works, right? And we see the fruit of that now. So, yeah, oh back goodness. to basics, man. Always, it, it is no trouble for me to remind you of the basics. Yeah. Is and that it Philippians 1? I think that is. Yeah.
1: And then I was just reading 1 Corinthians where Paul over and over again says, listen, I toned it back when I was talking to you guys. I sounded a little bit hillbilly when I was talking to you guys because I didn't want you to get distracted with my fancy theological terms and, and how great an order I was. I, I was dialing it back on
0: purpose. I was. You know, I was doing a little Mayberry accent right. with you guys. <laughs> I don't know. Well, as far as the mission strategy goes, I mean, there, there's really something to that because, you know, Americans have the resources and the reputation when we go in somewhere, oftentimes that we could flex, right? I mean, oh, when, yes. when the white guy shows up, people come to, to hear. I mean, if I go into a slum in Kenya and I set up on a street corner and start preaching, I'm going to have a thousand people there in within minutes, Yeah, you know, yeah. and that's, that's really dangerous.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So let me ask you a question. This is, this is really a diversion, but it's something, it's a thought that hit me yesterday. I'd like to get your thoughts on it. Um, I'm, I'm riding home and it, it hit me that even though I'm a young guy, like you and I are roughly the same age, right? I think probably within a couple of years of each other. And I'm a young guy. I've now done mission work under four presidential administrations, right? My first trip was uh, when I was 17 and Bush was president, right? And so I started thinking about it. I never realized it, but there's a big difference in, international relations, how Americans are received, the strategy that has to come from that uh, based on, you know, I mean, who's in the White House as a microcosm for all of that stuff, right? How international relations actually are. So now you've done long-term ministry in a closed country, which I would presume does not have excellent relations with the West, or at least the cultural philosophies are very much at loggerheads with each other. So what, what should we be praying for Politically, in, in a season like now that's very politically tumultuous in the West, I mean, we're seeing the beginnings of civil unrest for the first time in any of our lifetimes, right? How should we be praying for for our political leaders and situations so that it accomplishes the mission? Because I want people to get past this whole, God, please help my candidate get elected. That's mm-hmm. like really short-sighted, right? Mm-hmm. But we are supposed to pray for the king. I mean, First Peter 2 is really clear. First Timothy 2 is really clear. Jeremiah uh, 29, 7, 6 and 7 is really clear. What are these prayers supposed to sound like, do you think? What serves the mission? Oh, that's a
1: that's a challenging one. I mean, my context is very unique. Um, I would say it doesn't matter quite as much as we might think globally uh, for the average person. Um, they're not following American politics maybe as much as we, we are here. Right. I think just as, you know, um, at this point, you know, um, um, man, that's a great question. I think... As long as our passport works when we go to places, um, people have a lot of, I think, grace towards Americans because deep down I, the reality is a lot of people would love to live here still. Hmm. It's still seen as if you can get an education, if you can get your kids to go live in that country where all those – because they know there's a melting pot here. They've got relatives here, some, you know, especially if they're in the higher kind of strata of society. So at this point, I think America – in the eyes of many, is still seen as a positive reality, no matter who's in government. Now, granted, if we're if we're if we're droning people and your on their balconies, you know, maybe you don't have such a such a high view. I don't know. Um, I think no matter what, once you know, it seems pretty evident that um, it, if we get directly involved in any any you know battlefield situations, sure. that's going to have major effects. You know, once there's lines drawn and axes drawn around the world, that's going to really limit our capacity to travel. So. I'd say we're strike. We need to strike while the iron's hot right now, while, while passports still work to almost all the countries of the world.
0: Hmm. Yeah, you know something that I noticed was I went to I went to a closed country under um, when let's see what year was this? So I went in like it was like 2017, and then again in 2019 or something like that. Anyway, I went to this closed country, and it was during the Trump years. And he was kind of seen as like this, this like crazy eyed sort of like, I mean, internationally speaking, when you know, I suppose a lot domestically as well. He was seen as this guy that would hit a button just because he wanted to see what would happen. Right. And so so if so, I actually that actually gave me some cover when I was in that country, because the basically the worst thing that would happen to me was I'd get roughed up a little bit, sent on a plane and, and sent home. Right. That's from, from what I'm hearing in that same country with guys in the field. Now, that's not necessarily the case. They don't feel like they've got the the cover from their own government Mm. and that affects the methodology of things, right? Absolutely. So what about the sending force on, on that side of things? Is it, is it, at what point do you adjust? And at what point do you say, Hey, this is the way it's been since the first century when the church started, we just go as God gives opportunity. Yeah. I think
1: we we've had it very, very easy for the last 50 years, Mm -hmm. relatively speaking, depending on where you're going uh, when it comes to international relations, um, I think that's changing very rapidly. Trump was, I would say, he himself operates on a um, honor-shame dynamic, which that's an actually, interesting observation, which yeah. is actually quite in line with most worldviews around the world. So people totally understood Trump that I that I talked to, they understood his 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 basic framework and worldview. It very much lined up with a more tribal vision, mm-hmm. like. You honor me, I honor you. You dishonor me, I I
0: come back at you harder and I cut your
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, kind of All of the, that, yeah. Kind of the mafia mentality is right. very much understood by cuz that's actually how all governments functioned until about 500 years ago.
0: Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So then being in a being in a closed country. Now, what was your term for that you told me before we hit record? Creative access countries. <laughs> I love it. You said you said there's no such thing as a closed country. That's right. That's right. Yeah, no, there's no such thing. You just have to be creative to get there. <laughs> Love it. Well, now that that brings up an interesting question. And you know, I don't know if this will be something that our uh, most of our listeners really care about, but I think it's important to get into when you get like like the ethics of working in closed countries where you can't say everything and you can't tell the whole truth all the time if you expect to accomplish the mission, right? Um situations where, and I got to be careful because this is going on recording. I mean, if guys are sitting down having a cup of coffee, you can talk a little more openly, but like situations where, you know, it goes everything from you got to be careful what you write on a visa application to, Hey, do you pay this bribe to get across that border with this truckload of illegal Bibles? Now everybody, you know, everybody, every Christian is going to look and say, oh yeah, smuggle Bibles in, no problem. Like you can break that law of that country and we're fine with it because you're getting those people Bibles. What if you have to pay a bribe to get across the border, right? And then what if the bribe is actually written into the structure of the salary of the policeman there so that, so, you know, they don't get paid very much because they know that bribes are part of the job. So is it, it's illegal, but is it, really like in practice so you wind up with all these ethical conundra i guess would be the plural of conundrum i don't know in, in in methodology so how do you sort through some of that stuff when you're when you're breaking laws and i don't want to hear any personal stories from you i just mean you know any missionaries had to think through this stuff so how do you think through those issues
1: yeah so i think everyone's got to you know listen to the god and his word and and pray and listen and 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 not violate their own conscience. So that's very clear, even if it's just you know other things. Not not regarding you know international law. Um, you know uh, we we also we live in a uh, a society governed by laws in in the West, whereas a majority of the world they might have laws on the books, but the way it's practically lived out is actually governed by a ruler, by a person. Okay. And so that's a very different uh, mindset than we've been trained in the West here. Um, Another thing, you know, look at the Proverbs. You know, it, it never says not to pay a bribe. It actually says, hey, actually, you know, Sometimes you have to grease the skids a little bit to get things done, dude. I got Proverbs.
0: nailed for saying that. I said because I was sorting through this issue, and I said uh, I was I was kind of thinking out loud with somebody. I said, "Yeah, the the Bible says that accepting a bribe is an abomination to the Lord." You know what's interesting? I don't think the Bible ever says not to give a bribe. And they yes. were and they said, "Well, what about you know bearing false witness and false weights and balances and measures and things like that?" And I said, "Yeah, bearing false witness, though so that's." that's against your neighbor in a legal context and in, in court to condemn him. Right. Like, and so I was just sorting through this out loud, having this ethical conundrum mm-hmm. turn over in my head. Mm-hmm. And the person I was talking to couldn't even believe that we were like, like, how dare you even consider this? It's dishonest. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, well, I mean, I'd
1: say to pay someone to do something they're not supposed to do. I, I find that to be problematic, but if you're paying them to do something that they should do, I think that's Okay. You're, you're, you're not paying them to be dishonest or be, be unrighteous. you're paying mm-hmm. them to do their job and so oftentimes you know I just considered it a service fee because that's how things get done in many yeah. parts of the world. Um, now if if they're not supposed to let Bibles in <laughs> and you're paying them to help you get Bibles in, well, I guess you have to to wonder okay what what's the higher authority here? you yeah. know are
0: these people supposed to get God's Word? Yes. <laughs>
1: So, right. so are, are these
0: is this government saying no to something that God has categorically said yes to? Well, that's that takes it out of the realm of totally subjective discretion right yeah yeah yeah, absolutely yeah so i mean we we had to we'd have to cross checkpoints it didn't even strike me until afterwards but you know we had to um i was in this van thing in in a country in west africa and i do say van thing because it was vague (laughs) as to what kind of vehicle it even was but it went and they had a cage on top yeah it was it was like yeah so they had a cage on top made out of like you know bamboo looking stuff and they had chickens in this cage and you'd stop at a checkpoint the driver would get out grab a chicken and hand it to the guard and i'm like Oh that's a funny way of doing things and the guy I was with said yeah that's you know the guard gets dinner for his family and probably his whole village based on yeah. oh, how many chickens can he get that day and then it struck me afterwards i don't think that was a documented transaction right so <laughs> i just got across a country basically paying bribes in in chicken you know well you know
1: people got to eat people got to eat man. people got to eat and uh, you know oftentimes gifts are not seen as payments oh in many that's parts interesting. Of the world i brought a whole basket full of assorted swallow nest tea did you know people drink that swallow nest they take the the nest material that these 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 swallows make under bridges and stuff people in in asia think that they're medicinal anyway i bought this gift full and and there might have been a a few other beverages in it as well and brought it to the police chief's house one time (laughs)
0: talking about greasing the skids just to get a signature this is what we call methodology it didn't work no really he took the gift though didn't he he did oh gosh see now i would say the integrity problem is on his end on that one for sure we were
1: but that's relational it's a it's a love language to say hey i want to build a relationship with you and so yeah it was true
0: now in that particular culture was it shysty for him to take the gift and not give you the signature is that a punk move like it would be here oh man it's a pretty standard operating procedure he had nothing to lose. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Pragmatism, man—it's the currency of the world. All right, so I've got a couple of uh, questions that you know people have either written in. I'm mean, to be honest, one of these was just something that was said to me, and I said I'm going to put that on on the list. So um, I'd like to get your your thoughts. Maybe we'll kick a couple of these around. But you know, this is—I mean—what these questions are basically is Joe Christian hanging out in you know in. On Sunday, doing his thing throughout the week, being a disciple and wanting to know how to think about the mission of God. So let's do some worldview formation here. First one, um, this is the one that was said uh, directly to me. The word missions is not in the Bible. So why are you always talking about missions? Is this a biblical doctrine or just your personal passion? Hmm. So, I will then assume the, the role of questioner and say that to you then. Why, why the thing missions? I, I read the Bible, I don't see the word missions, right? right? So, is this just like a pet doctrine that's because you like doing it? And now you think this is something everybody ought to do? Or are we drawing this from the text somewhere?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, that word mission, just it's, it's the Latin for, form of the word to send or to go or to do, um, the word missile comes from that, which is is something that's sent. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and, and so that concept of being sent on a specific task is something that you do see uh, from Old to New Testament, that there was people tasked with bringing a message, particularly to a certain group of people. Now, in the Old Testament, the people of God were the nation of Israel. They were to be um, a holy nation, they were to be a set-apart people, a holy priesthood, and a royal royal nation. And they were to be ambassadors for Yahweh to the nations. And Now, what's interesting about that paradigm was they were not sent to other physical locations. They were supposed to stay in Palestine, but they had the privilege of, of the temple of Yahweh right in their midst. They had the law, the written word of God there, and... And we see when when Solomon dedicated the, the, the temple, there was actually a whole section of the temple that was called the Court of the Gentiles where people, nations, from all all the surrounding countries were allowed to come and encouraged to come and bring their prayers before Yahweh. So there was a more of a come-and-see aspect uh, to God's people then. But we see a real shift in the New Testament where um, God uh,
0: in Christ... Actually, commissions his people to go. He flipped those arrows around. He said, "People aren't coming here so much now. You're going to go out there." Absolutely. Were you, now, should I tell your pastor that you played hooky and listened to my sermon on Sunday? Because that's exactly what it was. I just did uh, Jesus clearing out the the temple, and I, I explained the whole court of the Gentiles and whatever. So, sorry, um, no, it was just the spirit. Just I don't spirit. know. I think it was the spirit of plagiarism, but yeah, no. Do continue, really?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so this idea of being sent, uh, being sent with a message. Um, to, to people who are different than you. So, I mean, you, you do have the kind of the, the prophets in the old Testament, kind of the, the typical uh, stereotypical missions passage from Isaiah six, where Isaiah encounters the glory of, of, of Christ, of God in the temple. And uh, the question is who will go for me? Whom shall I send? And, 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 and of course Isaiah responds, here, my Lord send me after uh, experiencing the cleansing uh, there. Um, but, but you know, and, and even the prophets, they weren't sent just to the people of Israel. I mean, you look at the story of Jonah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, his God really cared about Nineveh, even though they were not his covenant people, ironically. you know? Oh, yeah.
0: I was just reading the end of Jeremiah, and he just goes through like many of the minor prophets do, right? He just yes. goes through systematically yes. to all these nations and gives a prophecy to them. So it's not as though God is indifferent to the nations in the Old Testament. In
1: fact, going all the way back to Genesis 3.15, when God chooses Abraham, he... he he, he is explicitly says to him, through you, through you and your seed, I'm going to bless all the the peoples is the word in English or the nations um, the Septuagint and the you know the Greek New Testament translate that that idea is the ethnos um, the the different uh, tribes, tongues, and nations we see in Revelation five so uh, is this just a pet? A pet, a pet thing that some you know more modern evangelicals have come up with as a you know a buzzword. No, this is a concept that you see from Genesis to Revelation. The, the idea that uh, God, God's plan is to ransom by the blood of Christ people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And then Jesus, when he says, "Go make disciples um, of all peoples," that's the word he uses there, of the nations. And if you want to read a book. Probably the book that was profoundly impactful to me is John Piper wrote a book one time called uh, Let the Nations Be Glad. And it's just, yeah, it's it's a drive-by. It's a machine gun of like, (laughs) here are all the Bible verses that point to the fact that God... God's mission is to make disciples not just of people but of entire nations well and
0: let the nations be glad is a quote from Psalm 96 I believe it is, is it yeah. 67? 96 okay. I think it's 96 oh, that's and, right. and that's that's Old Testament stuff right Yes let the nations be yeah okay so the um, you, you might even say that Abram was the first missionary maybe, mm. maybe was he the first was there anybody before that I mean Noah was supposed to Noah was a preacher of righteousness did he did he go and leave his native context I don't know he pretty much stuck around and built a boat I think not but, enough information. Fair, enough. not enough information. I'll give you that, but we could call Abram a proto-missionary. How about that? <laughs> All right. So then, is everybody a missionary? Our pastor Ben here, the bearded beaver, he uh, he gives this um, uh, this very clarifying statement. He says, "If everything is mission, then nothing is." And what he's talking about is those those um, like if you take a look at it from the angle of church budgets, for example, there was a church down in Texas that said everything we do is mission. A hundred percent of our budget is for missions, and the the wife of the missionary they were sponsoring the the, you know she was walking around and the lady said this to her oh everything we do is missions she was like there's flowers on the welcome desk who bought the flowers and she was like that's missions because that's welcoming people in and whatever and it gets watered down to the point where if everything is mission then nothing is right well it's common for people to claim that for themselves too and say I am a missionary I'm a missionary to my the, the people in the cubicle around me I'm a missionary to my children right but at some point in there, we lose the difference between going and not going, right? So is is everybody a missionary? My answer to the question is
1: no. Not everyone is a missionary. Um, However, there's a term used in the New Testament that I think is quite helpful. Paul, in I believe it's 1 Corinthians, he says that God's people are ambassadors. Mm. Now... 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Yeah. There we go. Um, And so... What I love about that is an ambassador, I mean, we actually experienced the ambassador of America in the countries we were at. We we didn't actually meet the ambassador, but we went to the embassy yep. where the ambassador lived, and he represented this other nation. In fact, when you walk through those doors of the embassy, it felt like, oh, I'm in a little sliver of my home citizen, mm-hmm. my, the, the place where I'm a citizen. And um, that idea of representing in what you say and you do your king or your sovereign is i think a beautiful picture of what everybody does wherever they go because we are citizens of the heavenly kingdom okay in america america is not the kingdom of christ Mm -hmm. Um, it's under the kingdom of christ it's under his authority but it's not our citizenship in fact paul in philippians i loved how he used that word citizen we are citizens of heaven he actually says that and this 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 idea that we you know this this um, nation state is not my home nation state. Yep. I'm a patriot. I don't get me wrong. I love, love my nation, and I I think that's right and and godly. But um, I think that's a better term than missionary because um, this idea of missionary. I think an analog to missionary in the New Testament is the the, the term apostle. Yep, a, a person sent with a message, not a big A apostle, but a small A apostle. And the idea is a person that's going to go not to someone that's like them, not to someone who looks like them, thinks like them, talks like them, um, has the same culture and language, but actually bridging that gap and doing what you can, because if nobody does that task, the people in that society are, apart from God's supernatural work, are not going to encounter the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, And Paul just lays that out just perfectly in Romans 10 when, when he says this. He says, um, uh, uh, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, this is in verse 13, will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he goes on to kind of ask some rhetorical questions. He says, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent? There's that key word sent, mm-hmm. um, as it is written. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news? Now you could travel around America and go somewhere else, and and yet you know maybe you could call yourself a missionary if you go from here to Texas. I don't know, or from here to to Florida. But um,
0: and there, I mean, there are legitimately different cultures in the. I mean, if you go down to Appalachia or Appalachia or how are you supposed to say that?
1: I mean yeah. they're
0: barely speaking English down there at times, right? Like that's a different culture, there's a different world. A case could be made there. Yeah. And, and and when we what we
1: have right now in modern urbanization and the, the the attraction of the city, I mean even here in tri-cities, I can go some places and it I'm surrounded by people from a different culture and a different different language, you know. Uh, we've got Afghanis here, we've got people from Myanmar, we've got people from Somali. You know, you can cross those cultural barriers here without
0: really going anywhere. Yeah. Um overseas which isn't and, to say that it doesn't cost anything because it'll cost you you know to, because of the price of gas to get to Kennewick about what it would cost <laughs> me to get to India last year yes, saying I'm not absolutely. taking this opportunity to protest as a yeah. citizen I'm just throwing that out there uh, yeah so so interestingly by the way in in Romans 10 there when it said in verse 15 how will they preach unless they are sent that the root word is apostoleo there or um Apostello is what it is. So, yeah, that's being sent out. And I think that's really important for people to hear that because you you just said something there that I, I don't want people to misunderstand this. There's a big difference between what we honor as the office of apostle in the church versus, you know, when when Greek says that somebody is. Apostoleo. They're just they're they're sent out. That's a very common word. And so, you know, when we say that, you know, missionaries are apostles, we don't mean they're able to write books of the Bible and stuff like that. What we mean is that there are there are Christians from the beginning that have been sent. And the Greek word for that has to do with the the word for which we get from which we get apostle. And then these guys were sent, these guys planted churches, these guys were specifically empowered by the risen Christ, whom they had seen themselves with their own eyes, and those guys gained a reputation as the sent ones they were not i was you know barnabas was an apostle he was called an apostle Mm -hmm, i think in acts mm -hmm. 13 or something yes but then paul was the apostle Mm -hmm. right and so these guys Mm kind of gained a different strata of reputation and rightly so they never gave him a different term than everybody else so it can be a little bit confusing to us but yeah apostle sent one yeah well just like we can call ourselves
1: disciples of jesus but we're not the 12
0: oh my gosh I dude, I should have explained that that way for the last ten years. Why have I not been saying that? That's so clear.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, and there is confusion because there is there is a line of uh, I think false teaching out there that there is this some sort of this uh, this office of apostle or office of of prophet even in in the modern church yeah. age, and I that's very very confusing and. Yeah, and when that guy gets a
0: word from the Lord, it's on equal par with what you read in your Bible. Yeah, and then sometimes you see this internationally where um, the term apostle just means... What, I mean, what we would mean when we say bishop, it's like a pastor to many pastors. They kind of oversee yes. a lot of churches. Yes. And so I'll go to Africa sometimes and I'm like, all right, guys, so the apostles are dead. No more. And they're like, no, 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 I'm an apostle. And I'm like, man, I get what you're saying, but you really need to pick a different word, yes. you know, because baby believers are going to get thrown off by that. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So not everybody is a missionary question. Then should everybody be a missionary? Mm.
1: A cross-cultural missionary is always a phrase I put in front of that. Okay. Um, to distinguish from
0: ambassadors, which you said yeah. everybody ought to be. Yeah. So Love that.
1: By, by saying cross-cultural, it makes it clear that I'm there's a, I'm bridging a gap. I'm, I'm filling because it takes so much time and energy and and money to go learn a new culture, learn a new language, mm-hmm. to, to build those relationships of trust.
0: Well, like you had to learn a tonal language, right? That's, yes. That's no easy feat. Right. That's hard. Yeah, by God's grace. <laughs> um but, yeah, it's not like you can just pick it up
1: in a, in a week or mm-hmm. or five. You, you really have to be devoted to that task. And so, um, yeah, no, not everyone should be. A, because if everyone was a cross-cultural missionary going somewhere, no one could send them, <laughs> you know?
0: You, you <laughs> yeah. kind of need someone to commission you and, and help support you as you're going. Yeah, the tip of the spear needs a big spear behind it, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of logistics that need to be taken care of. I mean, one, you know, I go on one trip, you know, 50 or a hundred people have given to it financially. And that's only the measurable stuff. Then you got all the prayers behind it and you know, everything that people taking care of our family when we're, when we're back home and things like that. Yeah. So people got to stay now. now, Don't get me wrong. I think
1: the pendulum swung, right? Like people, you know, we're lacking missionaries, you know, so we're going to call people to missions. Right. And then, well, we've got all these people here and, and they think, To be a missional person, all you got to do is put money in the plate and send the missionaries. Like, no, we actually all have a role. We have the same problem. If I were to ask, should everyone be a pastor of a church? Mm -hmm. Well, for a long time there was a big problem because we had this big uh, laity um, um, versus um, clergy clergy laity, and and it's like, well, you know that that I'll let that I'll pay that person to be spiritual and I'll just live my life however I want. Well, no, that you were invited into this. This new identity of a royal priesthood or a holy nation, and so we are to be set apart. And so, getting the priesthood of every believer right is
0: so key to that. Yeah, something that I spend a lot of time fighting back against is the idea that you know you have to experience some kind of cloud parting, levitating call event in order to be sent. Like, so I, I have a lot of people just say to me, like, I'm not called to be a missionary, and I'm like you know, and, and depending on who it is, I mean, you don't always want to get that snarky because some people are very, you know, legitimate with it. Some people are just rebellious. And it's like, listen, if if God was screaming in your ear, would you be, would you shut up long enough to listen? How do you know you're not actually called? Because God loves to surprise people. You know, there there are very few missionaries that I've ever met that knew that they were going to be missionaries from a young age, right? Some of them, but not many. And, you know, I, I refer to Jesus as the great disruptor. You know, <laughs> you know, he'll he'll just upend your your plans seemingly without a second thought. Really, it's planned from eternity past. But you know, giving God a chance to surprise you is is a very important thing. And so I just like I tell people a lot, like, don't assume that you're not one of the ones that's called to go. Why? Because it's not comfortable? that he's okay with that. You mm. know. So what does it look like then to investigate a calling? I mean, because something else that I run into a lot of times in the same conversation is okay, I'm, I'm ready to submit myself to God. If He wants to do that with me, cool. How do I know? Yeah. Well, I would say spend time with Jesus
1: and and worship Christ. I'd say, you know, the overflow of the heart that is that is rejoicing in and delighting in Christ is going to be the kind of heart you want to have a, a missionary to have. Um, someone who's just really aware of the need is going to have a tendency to be overwhelmed. And very driven in a way that might actually backfire. <laughs> uh, in a sense that, um, yes, we see the need, but as we look to Christ and are are enthralled by the person and work of Jesus Christ, um, the need is not going to dictate that call. It's actually going to be the person of Christ. If that makes sense, I, I just my own journey was, you know, I exposed myself to a lot of different things. Um, in the I was raised in a Christian home. Um, I mean, my, my mom and dad were getting ready. They wanted to go be Bible smugglers with, with brother Andrew, you know, they were saved out of the kind of the Jesus movement thing and it was awesome. And so I grew up, you know, hearing stories about missionaries and things. And, um, but you know, I wasn't sure what God wanted for me. I loved music. I loved youth work. I loved, you know, being in the church, maybe doing something with, uh, yeah, just, just the church, you know, um, and maybe missions, you know, I was open to that and, Went to Bible college and it was a very missions oriented Bible college. And, you know, at the end of the two years there, I was just, I was exposed to the need. I'd gone on these short term trips. I'd seen it all. And I just was like, hey, God, what do you want? So I just, you know, took some time to fast and pray and just seek the Lord. And, and, you know, I didn't have any 70 foot angel appear at my feet as I wished (laughs) to tell me, (laughs) thou shalt go. Yeah. You know, but I was just like, listen, it's clear from Revelation. It's like, if, like you said, like God can redirect, you know, but I'm going to just say, hey, I know. I know God's about this. And so I'm going
0: to just go for it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, put one foot in front of the other. I mean, that that's why I kind of, I, I, I sort of had a sneaking suspicion as to what your answer to that question might be, which is why I cracked that, that joke up front about God doesn't like to steer parked cars. You know, he'll do it. He's got, he's got no problem knocking you off a horse once in a while, but it, it seems that he delights to redirect pathways of, of willing participants when they, when people are joyfully and worshipfully serving him. And he just you know the holy spirit just does that thing it's like he you know i picture it like a dad just grabbing their kids kind of uh, jawbones right there and just redirecting their face and saying hey i'm over here look at me mm. you know it's a very mm. gentle often slow and quiet process but it's also you know oftentimes very non-negotiable yeah so then when when you guys got called to leave i mean were you and i mean leave long term right were you married already? Did you get that together? Did you guys did did she come into the marriage knowing, hey, he doesn't want to live in the US for very long? Like what was that whole thing
1: like? Yeah, no, I was single and I I I I I do remember saying, Okay, God, where am I going and who am I going with? Because I'm not going single. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew myself. I just, I, I knew I, I needed a wife. So I I went and I also needed a church. I know we had moved around quite a lot, and I was just like, Man, I need to plug in to a local church, yeah, to to send me out, Lord willing, but just to be plugged in, and uh, so I spent two or three years as an intern at a, at a church in Portland, and you know that was I was very good for me to have that experience, being involved, leading small groups, leading worship, you know, being involved in leadership there, and and um, and God faithfully brought along a wife who was already heading overseas. You know, that's that was our connection point. Is like she was already on her way. It's like okay, I think, you know. I think this is the one.
0: Yeah, so, there you go. Praise the Lord. Cool, man. Well, so you're working on some stuff now where you guys got a, a church plant locally that actually our, our church here, Grace and Truth, is partnering with you guys. Yeah. And, and you jumped on board. I, I actually just found out about it um, a few weeks ago that you were officially like, yeah, I'm, I'm helping with this thing. So I was really excited about that. In fact, um, I think it's tomorrow. This is, I don't know when this episode is going to drop, but I, I think it's uh, tomorrow that uh, Adam is coming in here, and we're going to be talking about this sweet, church plant. So, sweet, yeah, yeah. So that's something that uh, for for you guys listening, I mean, Grace and Truth is really excited about the work that uh, that Dan and some of these other guys are are doing. And um, I mean, how how are plans coming together for that? I know that the building is always a tricky thing. You guys are praying about that right now.
1: Yeah, we're we're in the prayer stage, the yeah. prayer, and just okay, God, only you can pull this together. And so, yeah that's that's where we're at right now now
0: if i understand right and i don't want to say this in case i'm wrong so i'll let you say it but if i understand right you've got a general area that you that you feel led to serve picked out in the tri-cities or is that not really worth announcing yet because you're still
1: we're still praying about it we we have a few a few places on the map that we're like okay god this seems like these are parts of the tri-cities that you know could really use another church. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cause the tri cities is growing really rapidly.
0: Oh man. Well, I mean, what is it? There's like 4,300 homes in West Richland right now. And over the next five years, they're planning on putting in 5,000 more. So that's more that's than double Insane! So we need to double the number of churches at least, at least there's not enough right now. Yeah. Right. So like when, cause you, you know, you're, you're down at Reliance and when Reliance moved into town about a year after I got here, I was like, Thank you, God. That was an answer to prayer because I was like, "Here is guys that I know we can trust. I know they they know how to pray. They got the Bible right. They, they, mm. They're serious about making disciples." Mm. And you can't say that about every church plant, right? right. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. they're just trying to increase their own brand or whatever. So we need more. Amen. Amen. We do need more, and um, and that's our prayer. I
1: mean, we we don't want to just plant a church. We want to plant churches yeah. in the future. And uh, I I know Reliance this. Lord willing, will not be the last church that they help plant. And I know you guys have already done some church planting efforts. Where where have you planted churches? We put
0: one out in Benton City mm-hmm. uh, by the grace of God. And then, um, you know, been kind of butting our heads against the wall trying to do one ever since then. Okay, And then just, you know, for various reasons, it's like, okay, we got, we got the people ready to go, but we don't have a guy that's called to preach. Okay, so we trained a bunch of guys to preach. Now we got those guys. None of them have a call as a, you know, as a mm-hmm. week in, week out, you know, pulpit ministry guy. And we can't manufacture a call. So right now we're sitting around like, okay, Lord, like we can't move faster than you. Like we refuse to move faster than God, Um, you know, but we got people sitting on the floor on Sundays. It's a little uncomfortable at the moment, which is okay. I mean, there's a time where that's exciting, but it's also not sustainable. So we're like, God, what are you doing? Like you're building a, you're building pressure for a reason. And so, and I think it's because he wants to see people reached around here. Mm -hmm. I mean, if if I know anything about the heart Mm -hmm. of God, which I know precious little about it, but it is a very precious little. And he wants to see people reach. And I don't think he puts us here for an, you know, for, for accidental or random reasons. And so it looks like, He's equipping us pretty well to go out and multiply. It's just Mm. some of those pieces haven't clicked yet. So when we heard what uh, Adam was doing and we heard that you were on board and things like that, it was like, how can we help? Let's roll. Because, I mean, there's no, it's ridiculous to do it alone and there's no reason to, right? Amen. So, yeah. yeah. Now, I'll say this and I, I, listen, guys, I did not tell Dan I was going to do this, all right? So you don't have to comment on this or you can if you want to give more specifics, but um. You so missionaries live on essentially on uh, support from people that understand the mission. And if I if I understand correctly, when you came back, you're still on you're still a funded missionary, even though you live here now. And you got various other projects that you're working on with the international community and all this kind of stuff. But that's still kind of the way that food's getting put on the table. And so I got no problem beating that drum and saying, you know, hey guys, uh, if if you want to see some disciples made, then support Dan. Like get in, get in touch with me and I'll let you know how those channels work. But go ahead and send him some funding. Go ahead and become a regular supporter. Um, from my perspective, I think that what the Lord is doing with this guy and with the uh, the projects he's working on, I think that's a good investment. So that's not a call from the Holy Spirit because I'm not the Holy Spirit, but uh, that's worth considering. So um, anyway, make some disciples, throw him some uh, some funding, and he'll be uh, faithful with it. Is there anything that you'd like to add, or did I make this sufficiently awkward for you?
1: Oh no, that was that was great, man. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, um, another. Project that I'm working on is something called Fidelis Project. If people are yes. interested in learning about that, we have a podcast too. You can search Fidelis Project, and uh, we just have a few episodes. Um, that was well, really
0: good, by the way. When you sent me that episode, you were you were talking with some guy whose name I am not even going to try and Sartre. search. Her. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and he uh, he was bringing up stuff just about the the inner workings, the mechanics of the mission of God. That I was like, man, I never even would have had that thought, and yet here's a guy with so much experience that. Um, can not only bring up the issues but then explain them and guide us through them so that was really helpful for me especially with the position i'm in with uh, world hope and stuff i was i was gobbling that up so i'm really looking forward to cruising through the rest of those episodes sweet yeah so we're just trying to resource the
1: global church i mean kind of what's going on with uh, higher education in general right now but um you know Bible colleges are feeling this as well. It's, it's basically like uh, music was in the late 1990s, right, as Napster came out. Because yeah. all of a sudden, all this high-quality music was available for free. Oh. And so the music industry was scrambling, trying to figure out, what do we do? Well, it was good in the long run for the music industry because, I mean, they had to adapt. And so right now, there's so much good, high-quality theological material available, at least in English— on the internet the problem is people need a pathway to go through it they need some curation and then they need a community that they can meet with weekly and regularly and integrate it into their life in an accountable and in supportive um, community so that's kind of what we're trying to build not just for global leaders but for people here in the west I and mean, the post-christian west has lost the plot big time oh yeah about,
0: about the you know the, you know god it's a it's a theological free-for-all that's right right the the internet made it a yeah. wild west As far, the, the internet made uh, the pursuit of of the knowledge of god the wild west no rules anymore yeah just imagine someone comes
1: to christ and then they google who is jesus oh yeah <laughs> or something like that you know it's like
0: or, or you know they're curious you know happens all the time if you go to google and you type in what happens the first thing that pops up is when you die Mm. I kid you not man That eats at me Like that, that one keeps me awake at night The fact that that many people Are searching it That an algorithm yeah. is Is throwing that right in your face And they're going to Google for this And well now they're going to TikTok now,
1: Yes <laughs> <laughs> And there's literally Millions of people coming online Every week You know Millions who have never used it And for most of them The only part of the internet They know is Facebook mm-hmm. Like they don't even know What a, a website is It's like I just
0: go to Facebook you ever heard of uh, global media outreach? Uh, cool ministry. So what these guys do is they buy Facebook ads in different languages, and then you can go ahead and share the gospel with people when they click on this. Because yeah. you know, so I, I I was with them for a while, and then it was like. Oh yeah. We want you to be on there three times a day and interacting with people. I was like, ah, guys, I don't know about that. So I couldn't sustain it. But in one day I got to share the gospel with people in Pakistan and Brazil and like yeah. Myanmar and stuff like that. Cause they were clicking on Facebook ads, yeah, you know? So yeah. yeah, that's, that's the the upside of the wild West. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right? And there's, there's this other group called, uh, uh, media to movements is another group. I don't know. They're, they're all kind of, there's all the, God's doing so many things, in different places. It's amazing. And, um, yeah, these strategies, again, a lot of these is like it's an open door. It's an open window right now. We don't know how long these yeah. things will be open, you know, um, uh, once governments figure out how to use AI and all this stuff. It's, it's going to be interesting, very interesting.
0: Yeah, and and the mission is always going to move forward. Amen. Man, it's going to look weird <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> if You know, it seems. It seems. Yeah. It seems. Yeah. Well, listen, guys. I uh, give give us a a follow and a rating, five stars if you think we earned it, and share this episode with anybody who you think it might be helpful for. Uh, Dan, I, I appreciate the wisdom that you bring to the table that uh, I really think is worth getting out to people. Um, I don't I don't give away that uh, that stool and that microphone cheaply because I want it to benefit disciples when uh, when we spend time doing this. So thanks for being that guy and pass that along to your your lovely bride for me if you would. I really appreciate you guys and your kids are just great. Love hanging out with them too. So um, yeah, thanks for everything you're doing, man. I, I, I thank God for you. Hey,
1: thanks, Dusty. To- and it has been a real honor and pleasure. And I tell you, um, you're a blessing. Your church is a blessing. We had a great time praying with you guys a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, if anybody's interested to hear more, I'm more than open. I'd love to buy a coffee and talk about missions um, perspectives course is going to be available uh, next year. I best believe best class ever. Yeah, perspectives here in the Tri Cities. It's going to be authored at uh, offered at Bethel Church. Nice. So people got to get into that.
0: It's great, great, great. Well, listen, guys, if you want to get in touch with Dan, you can feel free to just hit me up. Uh, you know, office at Grace and Truth Community com. Uh, hit me up at Twitter G, uh, at GT Micropastor or most of you guys got my number. So uh you know, holler at your boy. But the world is a messed up place. But we have a gospel that is perfectly suited to fix it. So be nimble with that on your lips, and I look forward to hearing the stories about what God did through your guys' witness. And uh, go make disciples of all nations.
1: Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of grace and truth community in West Richland, Washington. You can find out more about us on our app, social media, or at graceandtruthcommunity.com. We love him because he first loved us.